Well, good morning to Community Church here in Spruce Grove. For those of you that are online, bless you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming. Those of you in the room, bless you, bless you. You know, there is an invitation that we have that is always open. And it is to know more of him, to experience more of him. But, you know, there, there are treasures that he hides. There are treasures that he conceals. And it's the glory of kings, the Bible says, to discover it. There are things, the secret things, the beautiful things, the precious things of God are just beyond your sight line. And they're not always there in obvious places, but they're there for you to find. On the other hand, on the other hand, God is gracious. God is merciful. And, you know, just like we do for our kids when we're hiding chocolates and we have an array of ages and maturity, you know, the little ones, we'll put chocolates out in plain sight so they're going to find them because they can't look very hard. But for those that are more mature, we'll hide them a little deeper. You might be here today and wondering, why can't I find the chocolate? Why can't I find the treasure? Maybe God has elevated you to say, I'm going to train you to seek a little deeper, to lean in a little harder because of transitioning you into something new. But you might be that one that's never felt the presence of God before, and it's going to be right there in front of you. Just step into it. So, Father, we bless this worship this morning. We bless our time. We say, Lord, you are not a God that cannot be found, that you are a God that seeks, says, seek me, seek me. We want to find you today. We want to know more of you. Let's lean into him today. Come on, let's just, let's just abandon ourselves into this. God is worthy of all of our praise. Don't stop. Don't stop. God, we want to say, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Come on. On earth as it is in heaven, you are worthy. You are worthy. 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 Now we could go more in this, but I want to come back to this at the end of the service this morning. But I believe, and I know you've heard me say this before, but I believe we are at a transition point, a point of transition into a climate of glory that will startle us if we will have it. So, Father, I pray today for the word of the Lord that changes our lives, that breaks through unbelief, that breaks through pride, that breaks through hesitation, that breaks through, God, you, you can open your hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. So, Lord, we long to see the fullness of what you want to do on the earth. Can you say amen? 
I, I, I didn't quite hear you. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I had intentions to go a particular direction. All this week, I've been meditating and praying in a particular way, and I was thinking for sure I'm going to go in this other direction. And, you know, being that I'm not really in charge, I, I have to do what I'm told, and so I'm, I'm, I'm here obeying orders. You know, if you think being in charge is you get to decide, you know, of a church, you don't get to decide. The only reason people get to be in charge in the church, ideally in God's church, is because they've learned to yield to him. And uh, the higher you go in what seems to be the authority and the order of the kingdom of heaven on earth, it's not predicated upon your right to make decisions and choices. It's predicated upon your, your, your willingness to lay down your right to make decisions and choices. That's how the authority of the kingdom actually works out. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes joke about this because I, uh, when, I, when I was a teenager, I remember thinking, you know, I just can't wait. To get to the age where I can decide everything for myself. And then I became the age when I got to decide everything for myself. And I realized there are factors beyond my ability to make those decisions. And I still was unable to make those decisions. That you're always beholden to something or someone. And you can't actually escape that. This idea that utopia is when you are at the top of the order is satanic. Come on. It is literally satanic. The, the guy who started that order, <laughs> that system, his name was Lucifer. And he was resenting the fact that, no matter, despite the fact that he was so high, that he was so privileged, that he, he, was a, he walked in the mountain of God. He walked in the stones of fire, amidst the stones of fire. He was given the ability to orchestrate the worship of heaven. And I mean, he was right close to the throne of God. I mean... And he, that wasn't enough. That still wasn't enough. Man, I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. I want to be the shot caller. That's that satanic spirit. That's that Luciferian spirit. And if, if you want to be free from this world, you have to be free from that notion. You have to be free from that mantra. So, Father, deliver us today. God, no matter what stage we're at in this, Lord, that we'll be like that centurion who recognize that the kingdom comes to those who realize they are under authority. Lord, we want to be like the centurion, God, who expressed a faith that was so beyond anybody that Jesus had encountered up to that point. Lord, we want to be like that man. He saw the structure of the kingdom of heaven and was based on submission and, and, uh, and response to authority. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk about something today that I've never talked about before. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, that would be nice sometime, right? But I always, always you know, say this is this thing called church. We like it to be, you know, sometimes we like to be like those um, Athenian Christians or Athenian Seekers, right, who are always listening to some new thing. But I tell you what, most of the kingdom of God is not listening to some new thing. It's actually doing the old thing. Going back to the beginning, honoring the first thing that you were told to do. And, and that's, that, everything is predicated upon that. And if you find yourself stuck sometime, I say circle back and go back to the simplicity 
of, of devotion to Christ. Go back to the simple things. Go back to the little things. Reinforce those things. Because, you know, if you're a hockey coach or if you're a tennis coach, you know, when somebody starts to lose games, like, you know, some unknown team that we may not be familiar with, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, the coach is going to bring them back and say, listen, you got to, we got to start scoring goals. Yeah, I think we know that. Apparently you don't. No, well, I think you need to, we need to do the basic things. Let's work on skating and passing. And so in the kingdom of heaven, when you're stuck, circle back. Start doing the simple things again. I remember years ago, I think it was Chuck Swindle that wrote a book called Strengthening Your Grip. And, uh, and, and that's what it's about. It's about strengthening your hold on the simple things. And for us, the simple things is this. We are here to seek God. Come on. We are here to seek God. The generation, the final generation, the generation that experiences the fullness. And believe me, there is a generation coming that will experience the fullness. This is what the prophetic words of Ephesians and the church and the fivefold ministry are all about, is that there is coming a generation that will be united in this way. They will have a, a sameness that's defined by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They will come to a fullness of the stature and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you know, I mean, think about it. There is coming a generation that resembles Jesus so much that the fullness, the completeness, that everything that he embodied, they embody. Come on. Everything that gener- everything Jesus represented of God when he came, he was the explicit image of God. That's what fullness is. He was manifesting heaven on earth. That's fullness. And it says there's coming a generation that will manifest that fullness. And they're also called the generation of Jacob. And they're called purposely the generation that seeks his face. God, we want to seek your face, God. So this morning I want to talk about seeking the face of God. I mean, we've heard the admonitions. And you may think, yeah, I've been there, done that. Been there, done that. Oh, so you're complete. Well, I, you know. Not not complete. Well, then there's more to seek. Then there's more to be found. Then there's more to apprehend. Then there's more to walk into. There's the the thing is, and I heard it again this weekend or this week. There was a message shared by a friend of mine. He said, "I said there's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more." And the ability to seek God is predicated upon a belief in your heart that there's something right around the corner. There's something right around the corner. I don't know how you get that, honestly. I don't know how you get that, that belief that there's something right around the corner. But people ask me often, you know, well, how did you make it through the hard times? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time belaboring how many hard times I had. But, you know, and it wasn't my marriage. My marriage is the easiest thing I ever did because I'm married to an angel. Come on. You know her. She's amazing. Literally amazing. I'm telling uh, the the journey is the journey with the church, the journey with the people of God, the journey the journey with God Himself. You think, well, yeah, if it weren't for the people of God, it would be easy. 
Except that's not true. <laughs> because God's walking with this people as well, and he's not having a problem. He's patient. He's waiting. He's, you know, man, oh, now we're into something. God is not impatient with where the people are at, and God is not frustrated with where the people are at because God will find a way where there is no way. And right now, maybe one of the things that's stopping you is your frustration with the people of God and your expectation that the people of God around you need to be a step higher. And maybe God's calling you to go a step higher so that you can actually make a way for them. Maybe that maybe what God wants to do is to make you into a father and a mother. You know, siblings spend a lot of time criticizing, criticizing their siblings. Parents don't actually operate on that paradigm. Parents uh, praise and they're encouraged and they call their, their children up. It's always siblings that are telling you, you you're a loser, right? <laughs> dads, you know, dads get excited about the smallest victories. You're riding your bike, woohoo! The kid who's been riding his bike for two years is not so excited. He's like, oh, big deal, big deal. Why? Because he doesn't have the heart of a father. There are people in this room that are called to be fathers and mothers. And you've been stuck in the mode of being a sibling. And you're looking. You admire a handful of people that are just a little bit ahead of you. You know, that you're aspiring to be like them. But God is saying, listen, I want you to be a mother and a father. And that comes by praying it forward, by turning around to those. And rather than being cynical about their failures and their weakness, to begin to cover them and bless them. And make a way for them. Are you guys with me? Hallelujah. There is a generation called the generation of Jacob that seeks his face. And they'll never stop seeking his face. I tell you, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I got a whole message. But I remember one key moment in my life where I was so discouraged. I was so frustrated because it just didn't seem like the body of Christ was cooperating with God's plan. Because I thought, you know, God, me and you are in this together, and you told me what your plan is, and your plan is that I'm going to have this kind of ministry, and we're going to do these things and all that. But these people that are supposed to be helping me are not helping me. Anybody ever felt like that, frustrated? Where's the help, God? Everybody's doing your will, or no, nobody's doing your will except me. Elijah was like that. He was in that place. Everybody's, everybody's left you but me. God's like, yeah, not quite right there, Elijah. I've got quite a few who haven't bowed the knee to bow. And you know what? That attitude right there, I'm going to put my finger on that. Because I want to make you, Elijah, into a father of this nation. You can't be a father of the nation when you're spending your time elevating yourself and criticizing everybody else. But there was a time, and I remember it was often about finances, because finances for me, in the early part of my, my ministry, there was a lot of things that happened, and I, that I never felt weak, I never, it, never, it never broke me, but somehow the lack of finances made me struggle. And maybe for others, it's other things. I don't know. But for me, it was finances. Man, I, I felt so defeated when, when it came to believing God for money. And I remember coming so many times to that mailbox in Surrey, B.C. on King George Avenue or King George Highway. 
and uh, checking the mail and knowing that there's, you know, this many, this many bills waiting to be paid and I have no other source of income. And I've, and I've, I've, I've looked, I've asked God, I've begged God, God, let me plant a church. Let me do something. Let me work part-time. Let me start a business. Let me, let me start an MLM. If you just bless my MLM. <laughs> he said, yeah, no. No, 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 no. I want, I put you in a corner because I want you to believe me. And I remember getting to that place and I was ready to give up. When I, get, when I go to that box and it's empty and I need thousands of dollars and it's empty and I've got four days before the end of the month, I feel like giving up. And you know, but I knew to do something. I knew turning around, tucking tail and running was not an option. And so I just, but I was discouraged. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, all I can do is pray in tongues. So I'd go in my car and start praying in tongues because the waves and the heaviness of discouragement were so, 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 so debilitating. And I'd start praying in tongues. And before long, I'd feel that little tiny sliver of life coming up from the depths of my being. And it had hope written all over it. It had confidence in God written all over it. And it would come up out of nowhere. And it was always a mystery to me, and I, but I knew that it was there, and that's why I kept going back. I kept, you know, even, I, there wasn't any English prayers I could pray. There was no scriptures I could quote to myself. I was that discouraged that all I could do is pray in tongues because it doesn't need any intelligence. I just prayed in tongues. But I could feel that fiber of life, and it comes, it would come into my soul with hope. It'd come into the soul with, no, God is alive. God can do anything. No, the God that I serve, he's not, he's, God's not discouraged. What am I doing being discouraged? God's not discouraged. God is the God of hope. God, God oh, you have, you have a way. You've, I, I know that you're going to break through. You've got a message. You've got a plan. You've got a, you can do this. God, for, but you know, and all this, all the circumstances, but there's four days left and you owe thousands of dollars. Four days, thousands of dollars. But hope comes out of nowhere. And each time I tapped into that, each time I tapped into that thing, it was the same. It was new mercies. Hope would fill me. How do you go 25 years waiting for a baby to be conceived in a woman who's past the time of childbirth? How do you go? Day after day, month after month, knowing it is physically impossible. It's never happened. It cannot happen in the natural. But you have a promise in your spirit that says, No, I know in whom I have believed. And I know he is able. How do you go 25 years? Here's how you go one day at a time. And each day apprehending not the possibilities not the possibility, well, there's a businessman. He might come along and look in my direct direction. There's a, there's a MLM opportunity. There's this or this. But there's something in the spirit of a believer that connects you with God. And God's trying to strengthen your hold, strengthen your grip on his presence that comes out of the middle of you, the middle of you when nothing else, nothing else will do. The miracle of the hope of God is that out of nowhere, it comes. 
when you have no prospects, when you have no opportunities, when there's nothing, no conceivable way in the eyes of man that this could happen, you begin to access a river you didn't know you had or you forgot about. That's how you, that's how you go. How can you keep year after year talking about revival? How can you year after year, month after month, month after month, talk about some dynamic of the kingdom of heaven coming down like you've never seen? Because this is the trajectory I'm on. And every time the life of God opens up in my spirit, I feel the newness of life. And I, the hope that's inside of me says, no, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. This is what enabled Elijah to go and send his servant to say, is there a cloud? No, okay, I'm going to pray more. Is there a cloud? No, okay, I'm going to pray more. Is there a cloud? Okay, no, I'm going to pray more. Because I know that I know that I know it's coming. Well, what is the promise what is the assurance of that promise? What is the, where do you get that? It's inside of me. You know, part of the journey, part of our journey is that we, we tend to, and I'm getting ahead of myself, we tend to set our hope on this expression of the church or this momentum that's presently in the church or this administration of a gifting or an anointing or this or this or the other thing. And, and God is saying, yeah, no, don't put your hope on that. Don't put your hope on that. Okay, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's great. You had this experience, that's great. You touched that, that new stream of life, that's great. But you know, all of these systems, all of these templates, all of these patterns, they're not for you to set your hope upon. They're temporary conduits for a life that comes from God and can touch the world and change it forever. And you have access to that life. Father... I pray right today, God, that this church, that this region would begin to be defined by the kinds of disciples that emerge from it. People of promise, people of hope, people, God, that when they pray, they're not tapping into a form of prayer. People with them, when they worship, they're not tapping into an old model or an old song or something from another country or another place, but they're tapping in to the eternal life of God that makes everything new. That out of nothing can create something. God, let there come out of Parkland County. Let there come out of Spruce Grove. Let there come. Let there rise up an army. God, begin to raise up overcomers. Begin to raise up dread champions out of this place called Parkland County. Spruce Grove, which to many people is in the middle of nowhere. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we contend, Lord, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. Come on. Let the promise that's inside of you, let it break out of the husk. Let it break out of the disappointment. Let it break out of the experiences that seem to set you back. Let it break out. 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 Because there's more for you. There's more for you. There's more for you. Huh. Now I can prophesy right now because there are people right here in this room 
and you've experienced things and, and you're at the age where you're thinking, okay, you know, I, I think I can hold on to the end. And you begin to settle into a hold on kind of mode. And God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. Come on, I'm not done with you yet. There's more to touch your life. And if you will have it, the best things are still to come. Come on. I don't care how young or how old you are, whether you're 50, whether you have a job or don't have a job, whether you're sick or not sick, whether you have a promise, a ministry, a name, there is something yet remains. It remains for you. And nobody, nobody, you know, just like Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate you from what God wants to pour out in your life. Nothing and no one except you. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me get into my message. Hebrews eleven six talks about faith. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen, faith, faith is the foundation of these things. And what happens is the enemy tries to steal away the expression of your faith. When I got saved, I got saved with a reluctance. I got saved with, because God did what he did with Saul. He knocked me off a horse in the middle of nowhere. And he said, follow me. And I didn't know, I couldn't keep going the direction I was going. He inhibited me. And so I began to follow him. But I wasn't, I wasn't eager to follow him. But he, he interrupted my life and began me, put me on a journey. And once I was, once I began to experience him, I just thought, I got to have more of this. I got to have more of this. I got to have more of this. And so what happened is I found an experience. I found something. I thought, oh, you know what? I could just, I could just go to a worship session. I go to a, I go to a, a, a church. I go to a prayer meeting. and I just worship him and his presence comes and it's so wonderful. Wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. But, you know, there came a time where God interrupted that, where I would do that same thing, and nothing happened. I thought, what happened? I started to find reasons. Why, why, isn't, some, why isn't it happening? Where's the presence? Where's the anointing? Where's that, where's that thing that I, that I want so badly, that, that thing that refreshes my soul? I just wrote this thing down this morning. I'm, I'm going to use it sometime in the future. Maybe a lot in the future, but it says this, in the pursuit of God, eventually it becomes not about what you're willing to do, but about what you're unwilling to do. Your discipleship, and I'm speaking to people here largely that have been in this journey for a long time, and the, and the way that God's, and this is, a, this is a macro vision of your life, but if it, at some point God says, you know, do this, and you do that thing, and you get a blessing. And you do that thing and you get a blessing. You, do, you know, so you learn to praise. You, you learn to say the name of Jesus. You learn to, to when things are hard, to, to lift up your hands and, 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 uh, and worship him. But I realize this, that there are those keys. You know, you go to a church, you find, oh, in this place, man, if we just do this one thing, if we just begin to sing, all of a sudden the presence comes. 
What do you do when the presence doesn't come? What do you do when you're in, your, when you're in some place in your life and the, doesn't, the presence doesn't come and that refreshing doesn't come so easily? What's happening? What's going on? You get discouraged and you get confused and you start, first thing you go to as a young Christian is, there must be sin in my life. Maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe, maybe, maybe this church is, a, is wrong. Maybe this Bible study is, is wrong. Maybe, the, maybe witches have entered in. <laughs> Man, I, could, I could preach on so many things. There are people, maybe not here today, maybe you're watching, and you've been to churches, and all of a sudden, you've hit, you've hit, a, you've hit a, a wall in your spiritual walk, and that refreshing that used to come, it's not coming anymore. And you decided it was the church. You decided it was the pastor. You decided it was the other people in the, in the congregation. You decided it was that denomination. You decided it was, you know, everything and anyone but you was implicated. Got to say, no, in your journey, I'm after you. In your journey, I got a way of isolating you when I want to isolate you so that the effect of other people's faith doesn't bring you through like it used to. Why? Because I'm wanting to train you in faith. But this promise here says something for us. It says, listen. He said, I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek. Diligently seek. And I reflect back, and I know I've told you this story before, but I reflect to my childhood it was a frustration because I was one who easily gave up. Easily gave up. When my mom said, Mark, would you go down to the pantry? Ah, just those words were enough to immobilize me. But I'm playing. But I'm watching TV. But I'm laying here. Can a guy Relax. Is that the only reason you had kids, so they could do things for you? (laughs) Never said that. Thought it often. (laughs) And I, I dreaded this because I could never find what she was looking for. And I didn't want to do it anyway to begin with. But what should be a five-second thing? I mean, it wasn't that far. We we had a tiny house. We had like 800-square-foot house on a military base. You know... How far do you have to go? <laughs> but I, I know. I, it's, it's, where, where is it? <laughs> it's right there right in front of you on the third shelf on the left. So I go down there and I look. It's not here. My mom, oh, now equally exasperated. It's right there. I just put it down there yesterday. I just saw it there yesterday. It's right, right in front of you. Which shelf? The third shelf. From the bottom or the top? <laughs> well, there's a couple of problems with my seeking. First, I didn't care. <laughs> this thing I'm getting, I don't want. <laughs> you have to have... Some kind of desire for that thing that you're seeking. If you're seeking for God, but, but, but it's obligation. If you're seeking 
for God, but it's because the, that's, that's what you learn to do. That's what you, you're told you're supposed to do when you go to church. You, you might be going through some of the motions, but you're not really seeking. You might be in the building. You might be even dancing. You might be even lifting your hands. You might be even moving your lips and singing the songs, but you're not seeking unless you really want it. You see, God is perfecting our ability to seek. And when we weren't able to seek, he gave us something beautiful so that to stimulate a desire. To stimulate, oh. And then he said, here, oh, have some more of that. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to come back tomorrow. Here, have some more of that. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to come back tomorrow. Then you come back one day and it's like, Ready, I'm here. Hello, God, Holy Spirit. I sang the songs. I said in Jesus' name three times. Lifted my hands. What, you want me to dance? And he begins to say, now, press in a little harder. It's still there. That thing is still there. It's just a little bit, a little bit further beyond your reach of the moment. And I gave that presence to you. I touched you with the beauty, consummate beauty that is me, to ignite in you a knowledge that there's something worth seeking, something worth finding. But it's not about you just experiencing once, twice, a thousand times. I want you to bring you into the world that I've built by this beauty called my kingdom. So the first thing... My problem with my seeking is I, I didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't want crushed. I don't really even like crushed tomatoes. Hamburger, please. Don't send me for spinach, as <laughs> I will not find it. But the second, and this is the big one, this is the big one for us in our spiritual life, is that. I don't know for sure if it's there. I don't know for sure if it can be found. I mean, I don't think you're lying to me, Mom. But you've been wrong before. Maybe not as often as I think you are, but, but you've been wrong before. Is it even here? So my capacity to seek is very limited because I don't want it, and I don't really know that it's, it can be found. And I'm... So I don't have, you know how some people just have an ability to seek? Like, I look at technology, and I, that's what I love about some of the people in my church. Like, some guys right over here. You, you have, you know, I don't have an answer. It's like, ah, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll ask Jim. <laughs> you know, there's just some people, if they don't have the answer, like, well, I know how to get that answer. But I'm looking for this can of tomatoes or whatever it is. I can't find it. So I quickly give it up. This is, what, this is what he's saying. But without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligent seeking of the Lord. Diligent. What defines diligent? Well, diligence requires some passing of time. Diligence requires some effort. Diligence 
means that it might not be easily found because diligence requires a behavior other than it's right smack in front of you. It's the only thing in the room. You can't miss it. This means you might have to lift up something. The other day I was looking for my keys. Went back to my desk. Nope, they're not there. Came back in here, looking around. Not here. Got a few people to help me. They're not here. Go back to my desk, look again. Come back. Third time I went back to my desk, I lifted something. But here's the thing. I was, I was driven by the knowledge that it could be found. I was driven by the urgency that I needed to find it because I had no other way to get home. And so the urgency and the knowledge that it was there to found empowered my ability to seek. And so I, I leaned in a little harder. But I see this this thing that comes over like a veil over the minds and the hearts of people who at one time zealously worshipped God with all their heart. I mean, you, you were willing at one point in your life to play the fool. You were willing to dance. You were willing to lift your hands. You were li- willing to shout. You were willing to, to do whatever. But now, you know what? You've had a few measures of the presence of God and your life has gotten reasonably good. And you know, there's a residual presence of God and a knowledge of God that carries you from day to day. And if you never experienced another level of the presence of God, you could still make it into eternity. And that veil has come over your eyes. And taken advantage of that complacency and said, yeah, you're good. You're good. There's not much more. There's, yeah. The people that keep saying there's more, they got, they're, they're selling something. They're just doing that to make you beholden to them. All that talk about people who have things you don't have. Nah, no such thing. No, you got everything. There's no junior Holy Spirit. Well, there isn't a junior Holy Spirit, but that's not what it means. An eternal God who's limitless has more. And the question is, who's he going to give it to? The generation of Jacob that seeks his face. The generation of Jacob that hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled God, we say we want to be a part of the generation of Jacob. God, we say today, Father, conquer those things in our hearts that lead to complacency. And I say, let there be an anointing that breaks the pride and the resistance and the complacency and the passivity and the faithlessness. Something to ignite the desire of God once again. Father, in Jesus' name. I say, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on your church. I'm not just thinking about the people in the room, but I'm looking at churches all across Canada right now. I'm looking at people who are going to service and doing road prayers and doing road worship, and they're not expecting anything, and it's become solely, largely duty. I'm saying, God, excite the people of God across Canada. Excite the people of God across this land with a new taste that there's something that can and will be found. God, make us the generation that seek your face. God, who are never satisfied. So there's a key dividing point between those who seek and those who do not believe there's something to be had. And God wants to move you over that. 
Now the second part of this, and maybe it's related, I touched on it, but believing something can be had which is worth the pursuit. Have you ever been in a hockey game? Not this year. Not recently. (laughs) I remember, you know, you go to the hockey games and and they're giving away prizes, you know, cheap T-shirt. You know, and they're saying, everybody get excited! Get excited! And a bunch of people, you know, usually kids, like, oh, you know, and they're, they're willing to jump and scream and holler and, you know, be the only ones in their entire section. Right? I can't be bothered. <laughs> like, like, like I want a $10 T-shirt that's selling for 25 Right? So it has to be, in your estimation, worth, worth more. That's what the pearl of great price is. The pearl of great price is a parable that Jesus gave. Matthew 13, it says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Now there's a paradigm being defined here. It's saying, listen, this guy already had some pretty valuable pearls pearls. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, you know what? I got a collection of pearls. I got a collection of moments that are notable in my life. I've got some of those. I've got testimonies. I've got moments and visitations. I've got three three watershed moments in my life where I experienced the glory of the Lord. Three life-changing moments. And you know, I could sit on that and say, I don't, know, I, I don't know people that have had one at this level, and I've had three. But then I listened to a guy like Bob Jones, the prophet, and I started hearing the testimonies of things that happened in his life. And I was like, like, what? You did what? You went where? What happened to you? What? Just the other day, I was talking to somebody who was saying, he was asking me, what's your greatest experience with Bob Jones? You must have a number of testimonies. So I, I told him a couple of testimonies because he's the greatest prophet I ever, I ever seen in my life. And I mean, he was still human. He was still normal. He was still earthly. He was still, in fact, that's sometimes God, you know, wraps the glory in earthen vessels just to throw a few people off. <laughs> and some earthen vessels are less appealing than others. Right? Somebody used to joke, what, this is a prophet sitting there in a chair with a big beer belly and showing the bottom three inches of his, you know, they, get a longer shirt, man. <laughs> but somebody is, he, this guy was telling me, he said, yeah, he said, this friend of mine, I won't say his name, you'd know the name. He's at this conference and he's leading the worship and he gets into the elevator one day and he, he, this guy says to him, he says, he says, oh, hi, Bob. He says, hi. He backed, he says, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. He said, you had a dream last night, didn't you? He said, yeah, I did. And he starts telling him the dream that he had. He said, uh, and you were asking God this morning for an interpretation, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and he tells him, not only the dream, but the interpretation. Have you ever had that happen? Is that something that happens daily for you? That was something that happened all the time. That was one of the least things that happened in his life. I mean, I've, I've seen the gifts of the Spirit. I've seen the manifestations of the Spirit. I've, and I know it's there. I know it's available. But the question is, can it be had? Are there things, ways that God wants to speak to you about the neighbor two doors over? 
Does God want you to want to tell you that man's dreams? Does God want you to hear what's in that man's heart, the unresolved disillusionment that causes him to be that bad neighbor that he is? Do Do you have the wherewithal to know that in God is something that will cause that man to run to the altar of God? Do you care? Are you seeking for it? Is it available? These things are the things that God wants us to begin to pine after. There's more available than we could possibly know. I'm telling you, I could share some things with you that would cause some of you to wonder whether I was a liar. It's there. It's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. It's right around the corner. There are anointings reserved in heaven for an entire army that the earth has not seen, that the earth has never known. And the only one standing between who you could be and who you are right now is you. The only thing that's necessary is, is what's missing in your heart right now. God, I want to be part of the generation that seeks your face. Ask God right now, Father, breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. What is this thing that causes me to be interested, willing to go to great lengths? I'll go to a store at 6 in the morning to, that opens at 8 o'clock. I'll, I'll get a tent, you know, a night before. I slept outside of a, of, a, of a store. You know, I didn't do it, but some of you have slept outside of stores to be there for a special sale. But wow, you know, go to church 15 minutes early to pray in tongues. Are you kidding me? I've already been there twice this week. What do we value? What, what do we think is worth the pursuit? What are we pouring our life's energy out? And I'm not saying it's not your destiny to work. I'm not saying it's not your destiny to do a good job. I'm not saying none of the, any of those things are unspiritual. But I'm saying if you do all of those but don't seek him, you're going to miss the pearl of great price. And you might have a couple of pearls in your life that say, hey, I had this experience in that moment. And you look back and you say, those are affirming moments for me. I'm telling you, the best affirming moment is the one you haven't had yet. The greatest moment that you can have is the one you haven't yet had. And that's why people seek God. That's why people come up here and clamor for his presence. That's why people are laying on the floor. That's why people are leaning into God right now. Because we know there's something to be had. There's something to be found. There's a treasure. And I've touched the pearl and I've seen the pearl. But there's another pearl greater. Oh, God, we say, we want to be a part of the generation that seeks your face. Let me ask you this. What would you be willing to trade for a breakthrough? What would you be willing to do for a deliverance? What would you be willing to do to see things hidden from before the foundations of the earth? Oh, I've already seen them. There was a man, a Syrian commander who had leprosy, and he was sent to the prophet of Israel. And when he went to the prophet he had an idea of how things were going to go. He's a pretty noble man. He had wealth with him. He had gifts. He had things to honor the prophet with. And, and you know, he was, he was thinking, this is an important thing. My healing is an important thing, and I'm an important man. But, you know, the measure of self-importance was a little bit higher than it needed to be in his life. 
And he was used to people doing things for him. And he knew this was different. He knew, well, I'm going to see a prophet that can heal me. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm willing to do a lot of things. I'm willing to travel from Syria uh, or Syria or all the way here, you know, riding on horseback or camel or whatever he rode. I'm willing to do this to, to, to take this journey. It's a long journey. It's not around the corner. I'm willing to do that. For the God of Israel. I'm willing to do that to honor the prophet of God. I'm willing to do that. You know, there's certain things I'm willing to trade for a new life. But he got there. And the prophet never even left his house. Didn't come out, didn't salute him, didn't say anything to him. He sent his servant. He sent his servant out. And the servant says, yeah, the prophet says... Go down and uh, bathe. Go down and dip yourself in that dirty river right there. Are you kidding me? You want me to do what? And he's mad. And I'm not going to turn to him. You know the story, right? And one of his one of his servants says, uh, "You know, if he had asked you for a hard thing." Well, what kind of hard thing? Bring me, you know, a hundred Philistine foreskins. Bring me the swords of ten warriors. Bring me da-da-da-da. If he had asked me to do anything that distinguished my competence, I would have done it. What are you willing to trade for the miracle of God? What are we willing to trade for Revival. Let me tell you, I ask myself that question all the time. But I know, I know, you know, I can't just, well, you know what, I'm going to start showing up at the church every night. I remember a guy, a preacher, if I, I remember his name, I think he graduated from here at Edmonton, but he's a C.M. Ward, C.M. Ward. He's been dead for a number of years. But he was in Bible school and he read a book about somebody who found a dispensation, a release of God, and he, and he decided, he decided, I'm going in this closet and I'm not coming out until I'm changed. He went in that closet. He came out unchanged, all right, about four days later. <laughs> but, you know, God doesn't respond to threats. God doesn't respond to hopeful, human confidence-built sacrifices. I'm willing to sacrifice four days of my life, but God better come through. I'm going to twist God. See, the ability to try to twist God's hand, arm, is not necessarily faith. So this man, he was being asked a simple thing, but why was he being asked a simple thing? Because God knew it was the thing he didn't want to do. What's most important sometimes is not the thing you want to do, you're willing to do, well, you know, if God really asked me, I'd lift my hands. If God really asked me, and you know what? Those things, he's already asked you for those things, so you should be doing them. <laughs> he's already said, clap your hands. He's already said, dance. In fact, he said, dance more times than he said, clap your hands. Well, I'll clap my hands, but I'm not going to dance. Okay, fine. If that's the world you want to live in, conditional, Relationship, God, I'll draw near to you on these conditions. 
Sometimes proximity to God is not the thing you think it is. It's not the thing you're always willing to do, but the thing you secretly, maybe you don't even know you're unwilling to do it. Maybe the reason he didn't ask you is because he already knows you're unwilling, but if he asks you and you don't do it, then you're in disobedience and he has to judge you. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a big part of the church is languishing in some no man's land, not because they couldn't go further, it's not because God isn't willing, but he's waiting for them to become desperate enough about their situation. Are we desperate enough in Canada about our situation to say, God, whatever it takes, Lord, I'm not going to devise a path, I'm not going to create something, I'm not going to do this, but God... I'm beginning to feel the burden, the weight of my region, my city, my children, the next generation. I'm beginning to feel like, God, we can't leave the world as it is. What do you need us to do? (sighs) Small or great, God. See, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord and he's going to show us the world we could have if we had been willing. And you know what? We're going to weep. And there's going to be regret, but we're going to get over that. We're going to be excited just to be saved. But the possibilities still remain. Well, Lord, I'm not going to dance, but I'll give you money. I'm not going to humble myself and weep and act like an idiot. You know, like others. But hey, that's what Cain did. Oh, you... You want a a live sacrifice? Yeah, but what's meaningful to me, Lord, is my fruit. What's meaningful to me is the vegetables. I worked hard at this. Let me give you the produce of the sweat of my brow because it's so honoring to me. And sometimes we're willing to give sacrificially to God, but it's not the thing he asked for. wonder what? That guy got a breakthrough and all he did was lift his hands. I've given tens of thousands of dollars and I haven't had that experience. Why Why not me? Because it's not always the thing you're willing to do, but the thing you're unwilling to do. Things could change. Things are changing. Opportunities in the kingdom of heaven for things we've never known. We know the sorcerer in Simon, Acts chapter 8. He saw the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. He thought, man, I'd like to have some of that. Lay hands on. Look at that. These people are falling down on the power, speaking in tongues. and What awesome power. Look at that. I'll pay for that. And we know what happened there, right? God is saying, you can't buy this. You can't threaten me. You can't bribe me. You can't, you can't will yourself into the manifestation of God. This is what I love. I love faith. Faith that says, I know I know God is willing. He said, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Somebody says, well, if it's his good pleasure to give you this, the kingdom, then, then why is it so hard in coming? He wants you to have the kingdom, but not at any price, because he's holy. And he honors his own ways, not yours. So, Father, we're coming to a close, but I believe. But I want you, if you want to, can you put it all on the table? And I want you to think about it. 
Now, what he's asking may not be what you think he's asking. But what is it? What is it you don't want to give? What is it if God said, you know, even the thought of it, you get afraid. Right there? You get afraid of what God might be asking? Doesn't mean he wants that, but he can't have that between you and him. That may not be the key, but willingness for that to be the key has to be a part of the equation. Most of the things I feared giving up were not the things God wanted, but he did want me to abandon my fear of giving that thing up because that fear had sway over me. And fear makes you serve something that's not him. Fear causes you to honor something that isn't him. Fear the Lord. Now, there's so many things, so many things that God is wanting to speak with us about. I just drove up this last couple of days to some meetings about six and a half hours away from here. I wasn't one of the scheduled speakers. I went because I felt a desire in my heart. I felt like God was on it, and I went there. I paid my own expenses. I paid my own gas. I paid my own accommodations. I ended up getting some free food. That was a bonus. Some of us, you know, I heard this guy say one time when the Toronto Renewal was pointing out, he said, said somebody asked him, are you going to go to Toronto? I don't need to go to Toronto to find God. Yeah, well, fine then. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. If God is manifesting himself in one place more than another place, I'm telling you, I want to go there. And one of the things that God does, we from time to time we have events here. We'll have a three-day event. I'd like to have a one-week event. But you know what? We can't. We can't because one week, a whole week, every, like every night, pearl of great price, you know. Oh, yeah, I know it. But every night? I'm kind of busy. What's the value? Do you think you're going you th- you th- you to make God do something just because you go seven nights in a row? You think you're going to make God by not going? There's something about the simplicity of responding. And there's something about being in his presence. When you come here Sunday morning and you begin to ascend the mountain of God, what if that mountain was bigger than you know? What if the atmosphere got better and better and better and better and better and better and better the higher you go? Do you know it takes weeks to climb a real mountain, a significant mountain? But we don't want to even give God three days. Because if, you know, God can touch me anywhere. Yeah, and he'll do that if you're a baby. But he wants you to seek him. He wants you to build... Why am I saying this? Because I believe in the days ahead, God is saying, who wants me? We're not having meetings for the sake of going to meetings. But there is an atmosphere that changes you and breaks something off of you and takes you higher. 
And I have had this happen again and again and again where I say, hey, why don't you come? We're doing this three-day thing. Well, I think I could be there for one session. Well, then, that's what you're going to get. How far can you go up a 15,000-foot mountain in, in two hours? That's what you get. Well, do you promise I can get to the pinnacle if I go for the whole week? No. I promise you'll go further than you've ever been before. It's, the only, it's not the only part of the equation. But God is saying, listen, can I bring you into a different culture? Can I bring you into a different orientation? Can I bring you into a different priority? Can I bring you into a model of living that says you will find him when you seek him? And you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. What does that mean to seek him with all of your heart? It means a lot more than just time spent in church. But it does mean time. It does mean time. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would set a seal upon our lives today to be a people that seek your face, to be a people, Lord, of the generation of Jacob that find you. God, give us grace in this window of time, I pray. In Jesus' name.